With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everybody, Patrick Connor here and welcome to the Knuckles and Gloves podcast. Man, boxing one weekend boxing the next weekend boxing the other week i gotta tell you boxing boxing is dead boxing dead it's dead bro man we're here to talk some boxing. over 100 years my man <sighs> over 100 years fools have been saying boxing is dead i am here with my dude arispina compu box operator you know fellow fight maniac and historian how you doing bro you know this is a lot of boxing last night Still hype from last night, man. Last night was absolutely awesome. Are you like hung over from all that shit last night? I am. Um, Damn. Kind of, but for my for for probably a different reason than other people. And it wasn't from drinking. I'll put it that way. All right. It wasn't. It was um I was working the triller card last night, and let's say there was a few complications. It was <laughs> it was know. it was a night. It was it was yeah, a fight. I mean it lasts um a little bit longer than I than I intended my night to be, but that's probably why I'm a little tired and hungover today. That why. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, that's and that's what I meant too. It was like just copious boxing throughout yeah. the day for the most part, but just especially, uh, it was a long night, especially for you, dude. It was a long night for me, and I'm I'm on the West Coast. You're on the East Coast, bro. You were ugh, hurting. I was, I was wired from like I mean, gearing to go in the zone from 7 p.m. All right, and the show and the trailer show didn't end until probably a little after like 1:30, 1 1:40. I mean, close about close to 2 a.m. or so. Yeah, no. it was almost two, man. It was oh. it was rough stuff. <laughs> I mean, at least I got I was able to catch the fight we're here to talk about today, the the epic rematch between Jermel Charlo and Brian Castaño. Yeah, man. Disruption. So that was a bonus, but yeah, it was a long night for you, boy. <laughs> yeah, bro. You 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 deserve like a break, a cookie, a drink, whatever the case may be. You deserve it for sure. Working that card, and I mean, honestly, we talked about all the the kind of a brief history of the junior middleweight division, or at least the uh, junior middleweight unifications and stuff like that before the first Charlo Castaño fight, that fight wound up a draw last year, but it was a great fight. Uh, definitely one of the fights of the year. No question. Um, a lot of the same kind of action that we saw last night. And so I would recommend people go back and listen to that if they want to, you know, a kind of a synopsis of, some of the other unification fights in the junior middleweight division, but um, we were expecting another good fight last night on Showtime, and it delivered. It definitely 100% delivered, uh, at least through six or seven rounds. It was an extremely competitive fight and a back-and-forth fight, and then it wound up just that Jermel Charlo took over. There was nothing Brian Castaño could do at it. it at some point it just seemed as though he was getting broken down and then he got crumbled in the 10th round just awfully man but it was a great fight a really great fight and now we have one single junior middleweight champion and that's good for boxing isn't it 
you know and it is that it really is you know that there's i mean eventually the powers that be are going to do their damn best to try to split them up again because that's what they do for but for the time yeah, being, it never lasts it never does and that and what is it four or five bell how many belts do we are we counting now well and i mean i guess the well, the bell right the the point is that jermel gets the credit for collecting them all however many they are but totally. but yeah that's it's still having to deal with all the sanctioning body nonsense and Man, still having to gonna come with it and all that yeah yeah but for the time being he's able to do something that's extremely hard to do in this day and age and that's collect all of the the championships in the division i believe he's the first one to be able to do that correct yeah, in the quote unquote four belt era, you know, nobody can really say exactly when that era started, but whatever, it's cool. Yeah, I guess you could probably say Bernard Hopkins since he was the first person to collect them all. But totally. regardless, it, you know, that's not even really that important. It's the just f- the fact that he became undisputed champion and the undisputed man of that division. Like he's cleaned it out. You know what I mean? Charlo is um, Cliff Rold, a fellow historian. Um, said yesterday that Charlo might be the best junior middleweight since Trinidad, which I totally agree with, or even so Gerald McClellan, who was an absolute monster at that point in time too. Like Charlo was just one of the guys he's come to, you know, his, his whole, he's at the prime of his powers right now. You know what I mean? Last night proved it. It was an extremely, extremely tough fight, as you just mentioned, um, for, especially for the first six, seven rounds. Castaño is an incredibly tough competitor has solid skills, the pressure that he puts on you, the combinations that he's able to put together when he puts them, you know, when he puts the pressure on you. And he can take a hell of a punch, man. He's just a really, like most Argentinian fighters, are just very rough, tumble fighters. And Castaño is no different, man. He's just a bad, bad mamma jamma. And um, just like the first fight, you know, it was nip and tuck. Charlo, when he boxed, he was having his moments, but inevitably he's the type of guy that he loves to get into a shootout. He's not just going to stand there and try to box cautiously. Like it, at some point in time, you know, he's going to stand there and want to go toe to toe. He can take a hell of a punch too, as he's proven last night. But like, there was a lot of flurries that Castagna was getting the better of, especially when they got on the ropes. And so you would just like, oh, oh, because that one moment, Charlo would be in control. Next moment, Castagna would be in control. They went yeah. back and forth and there was really no like absolute clear defined, you know, winner at that point because it was so nip and tuck. But that's what we love about this. That's what it was supposed to be when they had the two best guys in the division fighting each other. That it's, you know, nip and tuck and you can't really pull them apart. And that's how, and, and it's just good boxing, you know, clean fighting, good, you know, everything was just well put together, man. These were two of the best fighters in the world on display and you're just watching them go to work. And it's, and that, like I said before, man, and I think in a previous show, their styles just mesh perfectly. And once again, it, it just created a perfect storm for like the first six rounds. One of the cool things about the fight was that there was something like for everybody, in my opinion, especially yeah. uh, just looking at the the action, the entertainment. It was fantastic from that perspective. There was a lot of back and forth, um, in t- like in the sense that, you know, you couldn't really, like you said, you couldn't really see who was necessarily getting the better of it a lot of the time. But uh, it wasn't just wild action, like with no skill or anything like that. There was a lot kind of like to be looking for. Castaño was applying a lot of pressure but the way that he applies pressure is just funny because it's, it's pressure even when he's not throwing punches, you know, he's on your ass and it's like, he's not even throwing punches and it's, it's scary. And so you could actually even see it in Jermel's face uh, from time to time uh, that he was kind of like reacting to having to like, like get the, get the fuck off me, dude. Like get this guy off me. Can somebody get this guy? 
you know, and there because was a few times I thought Charlo was wilting, especially when Castagna was starting to get a lot of success on the ropes and like landing some serious combinations. And that's what I mean is just like Charlo was actually uh, lashing out and getting the better of a lot of the exchanges, but they didn't seem to be affecting Castagno until oh. about a certain point, you know? Totally. I think it was, I noticed, I think it was an uppercut that Charlo landed. I don't know what round it was, but, uh, like it was later on, probably around round five, round six. But like that's when I noticed there was a slight turning point because that was the first time that Castagno really like stood up from that and like stopped for a brief. Yeah, it, like rocked him back on his heels for a second. Yeah. Like it almost like made him think like, wait, am I good? Yeah, I'm good. Because like, um, Carlo Land was landing. You know, you saw the replays and the fight stuff like that. He was landing like the harder punches in the exchanges, like you know, like the finisher. Especially I think at the end one of the rounds, he lands a left hook that you see totally. <laughs> he left hooks and Charlo's is the one that clearly snaps Castaño's head back but Castaño at that point still looked totally solid like he was taking him kind of smiling they were just you know smiling at each other because they were really bringing the heat and then like I said when that uppercut landed that's the first time he kind of took a step back and like you know was noticeably a little shook he wasn't really hurt but like that was the first time that like he you know he took notice of something and from there I think that's when the fight started turning ever so slightly. But Charlo being who he is, when he has the slightest advantage, he's going to turn it up 100 notches, and that's what he did. You know, and a guy like him, who him and his brother, they're very vicious finishers, man. If they have you hurt, they jump on your prey. They're like a pit bull on a pot roast, you know what I mean? They just tear you up. <laughs> and that's kind of like... Is that one of those New Bedford sayings? <laughs> nah, I, just, I heard that one time. <laughs> it might have been, actually, it was in New Bedford, so there you go, yeah. <laughs> Good shit. but i mean it's like it, it's the truth you know what i mean it was like he he smelled blood and castanio sadly found um finally started breaking down yeah you know that's that was kind of like one of the other things to really be to, to really be looking for in the fight uh you know beyond beyond like the the action and the kind of like little nuance and stuff like that is that the the fact that both charlo brothers but especially you know jermel since we're talking about him last night they got dog in them dude like if you hit them they want to get you back they're not the kind of fighters that will just like sit idly by dude they're not going to go quietly you know what i mean and i think that that was one mistake that jermel made against tony harrison in their first fight was that he kind of like uh the passivity like he didn't throw enough he didn't do quite enough he wasn't like you know he wasn't aggressive enough and whatnot. And then that's sometimes not his fighting style. He's more of a counter puncher. And that was kind of another, again, another thing to be looking for that I was watching last night was that it was like a counter punching battle because Castaño was like making Charlo lead. Mm -hmm. And that was what was like, it was just funny to watch because it was the kind of pressure, like I said, where he's like with his feet, positioning himself castaño that is so that jermel's having to back up but then he's trying to faint and shit like that to make jermel punch first so he could counter him and then yeah. jermel also wanted to counter so it was like at times this counter puncher versus counter puncher battle which often winds up shitty because it's like a flinch fest and a faint fest like think about kind of like a roy jones versus james tony much of that fight was just not fun because it's like faint 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 faint, faint you know and it wasn't like that last night. Like they were actually, you know, opening up because they had enough, I guess, not animosity, but they wanted that shit. And like you oh. said, their styles mesh well. And like, 
like you mentioned too, with the type of pressure that they put on and being slight counterpunches, you can go back in time. A lot of a lot of all, um, great Argentinian fighters were like that, like Victor Galendez, who sometimes unfairly gets the notion of just being a face for a slugger. He was nothing like that. If you watched his if you watched his fights, he was the same way. He was crafty in there, and the way he positioned himself, the way he would make you leave sometimes, and he could be a counterpuncher, or however it may be. Um, Juan Domingo Roldan, another very very rough guy, but another guy who had a lot of asset. Um, El Martillo, yeah. A lot of facets to his skill, and if you watch how he took apart a lot of really good boxers in the eighties, yeah. Well, his nickname means the, the hammer. Yeah, that's because that's what he did—just hammer fools, just hammer away. Bang, watch bang, his fight with Jane Kin with um with James Kinchin, who yeah. was a very very tough contender in the eighties, and I think that was on the undercard. I want to say of uh, Leonard Hagler. I, I wanted something like that. Anyways, um, Roldan beat the absolute hell out of him, right? And but it wasn't just like a slugging thing. Like Roldan was really slick about it. The way he positioned himself and just landing these overhand rights and looping shots and slick and this and that. Like he just and Kinchin was a good boxer, but he beat the shit out of him, you know. Until Eddie Futch mercifully stopped the fight at one point um, in the middle of the fight. But like, you know, that's that's what I'm trying to say. What to go back to your point? Like that type of that type of pressure. There's a lot of like very you know. There's a lot of nuanced skill there, and that type of that they have that type of pressure on you is like incredibly troubling for a boxer man it's just it's really tough because the guy like you said he's not throwing on you but he's constantly moving in you he's cutting off the ring and you're forced to do something about this because you can't just let him suffocate you like it, it's yeah it's you're either gonna collide or like you know something so you, he's okay. that was what charlo was having to do was fight him off a lot he of the time there was no way there's no otherwise what is he gonna do you know castanio was gonna but eat then him that's up. but then that's the fight that castanio wants because oh. that inevitably led to exchanges which is where castanio was catching charlo in the first fight but i think that one of the big differences was that at least from what i could see a jermel looked like he was more uh cognizant more aware in the exchanges than in the first fight and so he was able to kind of avoid a lot of the incoming and, you know, he like he was first and last in a lot of those exchanges and just landing more clean. I mean, they were good. And like I said, I think that that fight or that, you know, where that fight is happening benefits Cassano more often than not. But Charlo was finding ways to kind of break him down in those exchanges. And then between those exchanges, using his jab and, uh, you know, like jab and right hand to the body and stuff like that to just kind of chop away. And so those kinds of punches, they were, they're like not as flashy. They're not as thudding. And then Castaño comes in and he's swinging like a fucking wrecking machine. And it's like, oh my God, you just, you want to score that shit for him even when it doesn't land, but it's like, I think, I think that if you're slowing those exchanges down and I'm not the kind of person that's going to go back and do that because no, but <laughs> if you were to, I think that you'd see that Charlo is just landing cleaner and not getting hit nearly as much as it initially looks like, in my opinion. Agreed. It, they, they were just, you know, the, the yeah, not that it wasn't great. Like it was great no, action. No. But both guys, like, when you know, like, I think Charlo's punches were just much more noticeable in terms of just because Charlo's technique, you know what I mean? His technique, the way he throws it, and the power that he emits from his punches. Dude's a monster. And some of those punches, man, like, most guys, Castaño is a tough, tough, tough guy because a lot of those shots that um, Charlo was landing earlier on, like the left hook that we talked about earlier or the uppercut or a few other punches that they landed, well-thrown combinations, would have absolutely flatlined most of the guys in the division. Totally. Like... 
he's that type of puncher. Like he has concussive one punch knockout power, you know, one punch changing punch changing power. And both him and his brother, you know what I mean? It took a little bit of time to develop that because they were both boxers early on in their career, but now they're just wrecking machines, which I love. And, um, but when they were landing at Castaño was doing really good work. You know, he was landing a lot to the, he was landing both head and body doing well. And like, he was, his, some of his flurries, he was at work in Charlo a little bit, but like the cleaner ones, just the much more effective ones, the ones that are much more eye-catching were coming from Charlo at yeah. the end of those exchanges. He was always finishing them with an eye-catching punch. That was that would be the key. You know what I mean? Yeah. They'd be on the ropes. Castaño would do some work. Charlo would do some work. But then the last that that last punch, Charlo pop would hit him, and you see Castaño's head snap back. Yeah, I I don't want to characterize it like Castaño wasn't landing because he was. There were a handful, excuse me, that were like, oh shit, like this is getting out of hand. You know, I this is going. Yeah, there were a couple rounds where it was like, this is going, this might be going a place where Charlo doesn't want, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember, I think it was the fourth round that was a particularly good round where I was like, hot damn, you know, this shit's heating up. And I don't know if Charlo wants that kind of fight, you know? But he, he managed to kind of tame it uh, through, like I we had both said, about maybe six or seven or so. Castaño looked game as shit. He looked tough. And then it started looking like his activity rate dropped off. He wasn't taking the punches nearly as good. He was just kind of not absorbing them all that well and slowing down visibly. And Charlo was just kind of like the, the attacks that he was able to pull off were far more basic. Like he was able to just one, two his way in and shit like that, rather than having to, you know, exchange or find a way in exchange or something like that. And um, to the point where that final punch or the second to last punch, I guess you could say, that caused the first knockdown, that left hook in the exchange or in close didn't even land all that clean. It glanced off of Castaño's glove. And I made the I made the reference to Julian Jackson, Buster Drayton, where he just goes boop and, you know, hooks him right through the fucking guard. And he's just standing upright for like three seconds and then just falls down. What yeah. a knockout that was, bro. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. It wasn't like uh, Castaño was out cold, but it just reminded me of that. Well, and uh, anyway. Well, what Jackson would do with his hand like that. <laughs> yeah, and dude. Yep. And Drayton was always like, I don't know if he was grinning or if he was breathing through his mouth because he had the kind of like Dwight Cowie going on where they yeah, yeah, yeah. had the mouthpiece always showing. So it looked like they're grinning at you, which would absolutely suck because why would you want to fight a guy that you're fighting? He's grinning at you the whole time. But yeah, no shit. Anyways, he's, you know, tough, tough, tough guy from Philadelphia. So he can take, you know, take some shots and he was taking them. Jackson's there. Bop, 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 and then he just, like you said, boosh. And as he does that iconically. Yep. Yeah. And then they're, they're on the replay and Gil Clancy or whoever it is. I can't, I can't remember offhand is just like, Oh, look at the arm. Look at his hand. Look at his hand. Cause, yeah. cause he's going down. He's fucking falling. Yeah. That's great. Uh-huh. And he, he actually did that like three or four different times too. It's just tough to see on some of the other ones. Jackson was awesome, man. God bless Julian Jackson. I wish he was around today to fight. Man, like what a, I wish he was in imagine him against Charlo. Well, just imagine him around it all. Like, I mean, you know, yeah. people would just be like, "Holy shit, he's sleeping, motherfuckers!" Left dude, and right. He Holy shit. Center every week, dude. Like, I mean, everyone who listens to the show obviously is a Julian Jackson admirer and whatever. I would but, hope so at this point. Whoever has never seen him, I mean, you know, for like newer fans out there that have never watched him, I mean, my God, he was just an absolute monster. Just not just junior middleweight, but like he's arguably one of the hardest, like one of the 
top 10 hardest punchers in boxing history. Like the guy was just, you know, when you have that type of incredible fist, man, that you can just like tap somebody and they just completely, you know, go into another realm. It's a, yeah. Well, and it's like I've said on several different shows, probably, you know, whatever shows we're talking about punching power, you know, and we'll get back to the Charlo Castaño business. I swear we just go on these little excursions every so often, but when it comes to punching power, dude, even when you get a fighter who's like undefeated and they've, you know, they're like 30, and know, with 29 knockouts, but you point out, well, they haven't fought anybody. And I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm not going to disagree with that. However, knocking out 29 chumps is still hard as fuck, you know, out of 30, you know, like having a high KO percentage, even over a bunch of bums is not easy and still usually suggests somebody has got some punching power. So <laughs> be careful, but regardless, uh, yeah, the, that first knockdown in Charlo Castaño reminded me of that just cause he hit him through the glove. But yeah. then after that, oh. Castaño's legs were just gone. And I, I get wanting to let it go on after that, you know, cause he did get up, but I don't even remember who the fuck the ref was, but he's like, come, you know, walk to me. And he definitely did not walk to him whatsoever. He was just kind of swaying, you know, and he just wiped his gloves and let it go. Sure enough. He took like a glancing shot and was just all over the place. You know, there was, it was, he was done. His legs were gone at that point. And when they got him up after the end of the fight, like they're trying to like walk him to the corner and he's just like, I don't even know where I am. So he got broken down in those last few rounds. And for whatever reason, as I was kind of watching the live commentary, a lot of people still felt like he was very much in it. And I was kind of watching it like, mm, it seems like he's fading away to me. Like, don't get me wrong. He's, he's still dangerous, but he seemed very much like he was getting broken down and clearly the end result wound up bearing that out. So in any case, we have a junior middleweight champion, a sing single junior middleweight champion. And I guess the question is, as far as, you know, the future and whatnot is, is he just going to be moving up? Is he going to be staying in junior middleweight? What, what would you prefer him to do? What would you like to see him do? To be honest, I don't think if he's able to do it, I'd like to see him stay at junior middleweight. Um, Why does nobody I, do that shit, dude? You, like, you know, I mean, no one wants, that's... Because that's not the mentality anymore. It's, you know, not this not to allude to this type of thing, but, like, there's not many people like Hagler or a few others in the past that just kind of, like, want to stay in their division and be the king of it. But I think with the welterweights eventually going to be moving up, I know Errol Spence and him are friends, whatever, but that's such a big money fight. It, it could happen. Or Terrence Crawford, wherever he may end up. Like, there's fights that I can – if he's the champion right there, he's undisputed champion, you know. And he just hit 152. I'm not yeah. saying I'm not saying hitting that every time's easy. Like I fucking haven't seen 152 since I was like 12 years old. <laughs> Shit, bro. I mean, for my preference, <laughs> I'd like to just say, I'd, for me, I'd like to see him stay at 154. You know, um, at 160, his bro, his brother is there. Not to say that they've already shared a division before, but like him being at 160 and there's other stuff going on over there. He he he's the undisputed champion at 154. He's the man right there trying to move up and trying to conquer another division. What's the point when you're already the man of this one now? And you know that there's going to be a lot of guys, a lot of top guys, some of the best best fighters in the world, pound for pound, are going to inevitably be moving up to challenge you. So I would say keep that because at that point, you can be the haggler of your division at that point. You know, with, with the fat, well, out of the, you know, the four kings, the other ones had to move up to challenge haggler. Eventually, this is going to have the same thing's going to happen to Charlo. I mean, I guess in a situation where like, you know, look, we just had, Cane well, I should say Bivol Canelo last weekend. 
and if Canelo really is going to rematch Dmitry Bivol, then that leaves Gennady Golovkin without a dance partner. And I definitely would not mind. Uh, Are you kidding me? I would kill to see Charlo. Uh, would I mean, not. I ain't uh, kicking that fight out of bed for eating crackers if if that's what it's coming to. You know what I'm saying? Totally. So that's that's a damn good fight. And I would love that fight. But like you, just in general, I, you know, I know that it's like a long road. It took him a while to become undisputed. And also on top of that, like just kind of going back to J- Jermel for a moment, I'm not going to name any names because that's no point in that shit. But in the post-fight press conference, he started getting kind of heated because, of you know, he what he felt was a perceived slight from a member of the media who, I guess, was refusing to put him on a pound-for-pound list. or something. I mean, I don't really pay that close attention to the pound-for-pound shit, so I couldn't tell you exactly. All I know is that it seemed as though he was pissed that he he felt as though he wasn't getting the respect that he deserved. Overall, I mean, I can't necessarily disagree with him. You know, overall, the Charlos have been hammering away just mm-hmm. as they as they have, you know, they've just been hammering away the last handful of years. And I think that it, they just happen to be in divisions where it's like difficult to, it's been difficult to go to the top, especially with Canelo right around there being such a gravitational force for all of the other fighters and preferring to, you know, Canelo fight or trying to get into that Canelo sweepstakes and et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I would like to see Jermel Charlo defend the 154 pound title a handful of times, even, and just make sure that that division is fucking like, there's no questions. Nobody's got any claim. Nobody's got any sort of fucking whatever, you know, like that shit is done. Um, But I also, I, but I mean, if he wants to move up, let him, you know? Yeah. I, I wouldn't begrudge him. It's not like, it's not as if he, if he uh, decided not to stay at 154 pounds, I'd be like, Oh, well, I guess the undisputed title ain't shit anymore. No, like he still obviously became undisputed and collected that shit and took his time to do that shit. And I mean, I don't blame him for, I guess, quote unquote, <laughs> chasing the money or going after bigger fights because that's Mm -hmm. what he probably should be doing. But like you said, though, that kind of would not close the door, but make it more difficult for fights against those welterweights who eventually move up. It would make it more difficult for those to happen if he went up because going up and then back down is that's dangerous shit for fighters. As we've seen in the past and we've talked about in the past. Absolutely. Yeah, dude, it's, it's a dangerous proposition. So I'd like to see that too, personally, but. What did you th- all right? Here's my question to you. What did you think of the scorecards at the end of the fight? I thought they were a little wide. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think one of them was like 89, 82, or something like that, which was like kind of <clears> ridiculous because <throat> at that point, what is that? Only given Castaño one or two rounds? Yeah. So if it's stopped in the, yeah. So it's given Castaño like two rounds or something like that. But I'll, I'll be completely honest. Like they're in the, first couple of rounds or whatever we were still kind of on hold of what was going on with the trailer show so i wasn't paying full attention but once i was able to around like round three or so like i gave it the whole fight like it was a very very close fight the first even through the first couple of rounds you probably was the same as what was going on they and were they were difficult to score the first very, couple yeah, rounds were yeah, yeah. so i just think well, 89 82 is just a little too wide yeah it was definitely back and forth and through I think that the most common score that I saw 
through seven rounds or so was four, three, either way. Oh yeah. And that like, you know, through about eight, I, that was generally, I think when Charlo was kind of starting to kind of pull ahead on most people's cards, Mm -hmm. but, um, no, like it, it seemed as though most people that I saw on Twitter and whatnot, because that's just usually the most up-to-date place. Uh, the cards were fairly close through seven or eight rounds. And then they started to widen a bit. But even so, yeah, like, you know, whatever that is, eight rounds to two or seven rounds to two, that's a little too wide. That's too much. But we we see this every week, you know, and not to take it off into La La Land here, but we see this shit every week with scorecards all the time. And it, it sucks to kind of have to fall back onto that, well, the right fighter won type of shit because it's like we never wind up getting to address these awful judges who turn turning in these laughable cards but it's it's the same thing with officials in general there are several referees around the u.s in particular and a couple in the uk who we know for sure because we've seen it several different times are absolutely awful officials and they're still officiating big fights anyway nobody's doing a goddamn thing about it same thing with judges there are judges that we see and we're like, fuck, dude. And that's a big thing, man. That needs to be overhauled. So- like, yeah, like Glenn Feldman pops up and people are like, God damn it, dude. Or, you know, somebody, Dave Moretti, and they're just like, fuck, dude. You know, or something like that. And it's like, but it's it's all and of all the time. Are, and especially like in, in Nevada, they're old as dirt, you know, and other officials. Nevada out has, they're yeah. long considered the gold or one of the gold standards in the U.S., oh, but has one of the worst possible fucking commissions on the face of the planet it's so bad like you know especially compared to what it's thought of you know what it's perceived as it's an absolute joke dude so i mean again i don't want to go off into some fucking crazy shit but it definitely how many years now we've been talking about like you know somebody taking this over whether it's the feds or a national commission or whatever what all we know is that what is currently happening is a pretty stupid system where people who suck are allowed to keep working <laughs> it's, it's boxing in a nutshell my friend <laughs> so who's gonna change it i don't know i don't know man we i mean we've talked we discussed the muhammad ali act in the in the past and there's always been like rumblings of uh commissions the fbi has you know obviously been involved in boxing before trying to nail down don uh, nail down don king and the ibf and other infractions or whatever but in terms of just overhauling everything it's probably never gonna happen you know well and and funnily enough dude it's like you know the whole daniel kinahan shit (laughs) you know that's obviously its own topic and i I definitely would uh, advise anybody to go listen to shadow boxing that uh podcast series that's been put out by the irish daily star and uh kieran cunningham done a great job and i don't say that because they quoted me heavily and <laughs> talked to me about it they they really did do a great job but as far as this daniel kinnan business careful, this, what to be careful bro yeah i know no shit hopefully i'm all right but <laughs> you know it, no, even no, that, though i'm not think, hiding anywhere man they can have rooms everywhere why do you think i'm in vancouver washington i'm witness protect now no no dude like it's the crazy thing about even just this happened fucking recently. This isn't like 1940s or 50s, but this happened recently. And some of the shit that was 
<clears throat> Daniel Kinnan and his associates were involved in was basically, it was based around boxing. And that's not even what the feds fucking wanted him for. This is like some Al Capone shit, bro, where he gets popped for yeah, fucking boxing taxes. Is, boxing is nothing for what they're doing. That's that's just like a little side activity. Yeah, like, like the, where he gets popped for fucking taxes. Like Capone gets gotten for taxes and not some fucking, you know, loans or fucking whatever. So my point is that that's how little anybody gives a shit <clears throat> about this awful nature of this sport that we love. And we do love it. That's not, you know, what's love got to do with it? Tina, but my point is that it's fucking, you know, it's it's bad, dude. So I don't know that any, and I know we took it kind of off course there, but these things are connected. The 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 empathy, or I'm I'm sorry, apathy, the lack of fucking concern for these kinds of situations and the corruption and ineptitude in boxing is totally it's fucking nil, dude. So I don't know if anybody can do anything about it. I'm gonna need you after this show since you since you just referenced that 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 song. What's love got to do with it? The music video, all right. There's at one point Tina Turner's walking down the street, and the guy that looks exactly like Samuel Jackson wearing this yellow cheetah leopard print type shirt. Um, you know, totally 80s. And it looks just like him. And he has the whole hair and everything. I need you to tell me if you think that's him or not, because I'm almost positive it is. And there's been like a whole discussion on the internet if it is or if it's him or not. We can cameo in that. Yeah, dude, I, I guarantee you this shit has been covered on Reddit. You need to go find some subreddit and there will be an entire nuanced fucking scientific breakdown frame by frame. Yeah. They're going to be like, all right, now Samuel L. Jackson was born in 1961. So you go back, you know, they're going to fucking break this shit down, bro. If not, it looks just like him. That's all I'll say. But it was pretty hilarious. That's good shit. But yeah, um, it's possible. Well, Who knows, man? Considering but, how how good that main event was, we should touch also on the undercard because a guy of the future who's a future looks like everybody's proclaiming him, and I'm kind of going along with it that he might be the top of the pound for pound list in a few years. We're talking about Boots Ennis. Boots Ennis has ever since he kind of popped up on anybody's radar and it's been a handful of years now he's been i would say all right i remember a handful of years ago long longer than a handful now mm -hmm. i remember floyd mayweather talking about errol spence to well, reporters Spence mayweather back in the day right and kind of like gave him gave him some uh gave him a good session i remember floyd mayweather talking about errol spence to some reporters i couldn't even tell you the year I just know that it was long before he popped up as like on the pro radar. I just remember hearing about it and kind of being like, I, well, I've never heard of that guy and I've never seen him. So, I mean, cool, but I don't know what that means. And sure enough, like two years later, it was like, he was like prospect of the year or some shit like that. And I was like, Oh, okay. And so almost fucking identical situation here, dude. I didn't really know. And again, I don't, I don't really follow amateur boxing because it's an absolute mess and shit show on the national level here in the U S oh. and it's not easy to follow. You know, like Unless the guy's getting a lot of publicity all over the place that you kind of like, it's easier because he is singularly like that yeah. and follow it as a whole. It's very, very difficult. You'd be better off if they're, if they're going to international competition, like in Europe, then you could follow it. 
in the U.S., like on the national level, it's awful. So Plus, it's difficult. They don't televise it the way back in the day. So no, and yeah, and and papers don't cover it either. Like even local papers don't cover it the way that they used to. So it's difficult to follow, and so that's why I didn't hear about either Spence or Ennis until a couple of years ago. Same kind of similar situation. Oh, you hear about this guy, Jaron Ennis? No, I never heard about him. And then, of course, started remembering his nickname, Boots. And a couple of years ago, he starts popping up on the pro radar. And I'm like, oh, okay, I remember that. I remember hearing that name. And you start fucking hearing why. And obviously, gym fighters and gym rumors and shit like that. We talked about this a couple, a handful of history episodes ago, like the gym legends and shit like that. Oftentimes, they don't fucking wind up bearing out. But there are fighters who look absolutely fantastic in the gym, give fools the business and sparring and seem like they're can't miss blue chip prospects and guaranteed to be champions or something like that. And I don't want to go too far because he's still got stuff to prove, but he looks fucking gangbusters, bro. He looks great. Oh man. He's, he, he, he's the, he's the total package right now. Like, I think he's ready for, I think he's ready. He's obviously ready for a world title. I mean, he's, he's almost, he's, I mean, I think he's, um he's mandatory for Spence, right? I think I, I'm pretty sure, yes. And it's like one of those situations where it's like you almost feel bad. I don't see that fight happening anytime soon either, which sucks because just be, even though he's mandatory just because of the politics of the sport, I'd be shocked if that fight happened anytime soon. And, and that's what I mean is like you almost feel bad for him because here he is at like 28, 29 fights in, and he's clearly at a level where he's ready for a, a world title or that you know level fighter. But you have to be really careful about where you go with them, especially because there's all these other name fighters just fucking littering the landscape at, you know, 140 to 154 pounds that he could potentially face. And it's tough, dude. There's a lot of stiff competition. It, it like surges upward really quickly. Steep learning curve. Uh, not that anybody I don't think really doubts that much, but there's a lot of different directions for him to go in and the politics kind of make it funky for sure. And it sucks, man, because not like this could have been a fight where if you like in the nineties, I'll give you, I'll give you an example, like Obakar, who was completely undefeated. Probably if he was in this era today with the Twitter and the Twitter, you know, in the Twitter era and the way boxing Twitter is, would be heavily hyped and deservedly. So and when he challenged Felix Trinidad, like, that was a fight. Carl was just, you know, the contender at that point, like, uh, undefeated top contender. Trinidad was the IBF champion. They ended up having a fight. Obviously, the, the sport has completely changed since then, but, like, that you wish that could be something similar to that where Ennis can just finally just get his title shot. Your mandatory challenger deserves it. He just make the fight. But, like, because the way politics are and everything, they're going to want to try to marinate something like this. Well, I mean, I get it, but, like, it's just... If if you're, like, just think about it from their perspective, right? Like, and anybody, I guess, listening in and going, like, you know, fuck that. They should be matching people left and I right. I get it. No, it's just, and, yeah. like, I don't disagree as a fan. I cool. want to see those fights. I, <laughs> you do. Fans do. But just think about it from Premier Boxing Champions perspective. If you have a fighter like Jaron Ennis, who's looks like a beast, you know, clearly can punch extremely skilled moves. Well, you know, pretty much the entire package. And it, it looks well, it does well represented, like speaks well for himself. Everything yeah. he do in general, in general, just seems to be can't miss. And so the question kind of becomes, who do you sacrifice? Mm -hmm. 
like just put it bluntly, who do you sacrifice to this kid? You know, since I don't think he's going to fight for a title next, I would love to see him fight Thurman or Danny Garcia. And that's the answer, dude, is that you're unfortunately going to have to go to the fucking well. Yes. To, for, for your, for your, yeah, yeah, exactly. Go back and, and see but i mean but those will be good fights and i mean unfortunately from the the pbc perspective because somebody's gonna have to lose whether it's jaron ennis because if he can't beat a danny garcia then what business does he have moving forward to an errol spence totally or if he can't beat a keith thurman then why why should they put him in with errol spence but if he can beat a keith thurman or a danny garcia then impressively who, yeah, and whoever which one gets beaten, their comeback just got fucking smashed right in the nuts. So, you know, somebody, what I'm that's what I'm saying is somebody's getting sacrificed. So, what do you, you do? You know what sucks too is that guys like that have already have a track record of not taking fights to, to show themselves to be a stepping stone. Like Thurman is not that's what I'm saying. Good. Yeah, is Thurman that probably like, wouldn't accept that fight because he knows it's. He's being, he'll know what time uh, it is. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And he already knows that he's that he'd be used as a as a time. And he doesn't consider himself someone like that. Same thing with Gary And Dyson. rightly so. You know, like those guys have it. earned they have earned one, you know, whether you feel they have or not, you know, they have totally, earned their they don't they don't feel that like at this point in time Boots Ennis is still a high risk low, you know, like too much of a high risk to get like the reward they're looking for for it. Like they're looking for a big like Errol Spence payday or a big fight like that. They're not looking to fight the top exactly. contender who's going to tear their head off. So well, yeah, man, and they got passed up for that Floyd or Manny money. Like and, mm-hmm. and I mean it's it is what it is, you know. Like because that's just it just wasn't there for most of them. But you know, so then I think that that's kind of just what happens though is that you're gonna you're gonna wind up having to take still really good money, but not that massive money fight. And Do you think so, yeah. Spence vacates a belt? What's that? Do you think Spence uh, vacates, uh, gets stripped of a belt or vacates or something stupid happens? So what I, is he? Is he like IBF um, mandatory? I'd have to look. I have no idea. Well, here. That's what it was. It was for the IBF. Um, I have the- his shit pulled up. And so if it's a minor, oh, no, it doesn't even say. So it was an, I, I think it was an eliminate for the IBF. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Well, whichever one it is, um, I would imagine that whoever it is, whether it's Crawford or Spence, well, no, it's got to be Spence. So whatever belt that is, he he would probably drop it because even though he's kind of playing semi-coy last night when they asked Errol Spence about Crawford, like he wasn't like, oh yeah, fuck yeah, let's fight that fool. He's like, yeah, yeah, that's fine, let's get that. You know, but that's also just kind of Errol Spence. That's just his kind of. He's just country. In a good <laughs> yeah, he's just country and laid back, yeah, dude. Yeah. He's gonna go mess with his horses and shit in a little bit. I love but like, <laughs> but I mean, even so, it sounds like he—that's the fight he wants. It sounds like Crawford wants that fight. It sounds like at this point, with everybody involved saying they want the fight, if it doesn't happen it would be the dumbest fucking indictment of like everything going on in boxing. So I, I truly hope that that's the case and they make that fight happen. So if that, if that is the case, Spence would drop the belt to make that fight happen just because yeah. it's a much yeah. bigger fight. And I can see, you know, Boots become an IBF champion fighting um, whoever is the number two or number three contender because the IBF has a trick. All right, look, as you know, and everybody else knows, the IBF, as much as they follow the rules, 
as opposed to the other ones. And people mention that they have an incredibly bad track record of shitty mandatory challenges. Yeah. <laughs> Who they will strip you for, for whatever reason. All right. Like, and you see like who they're supposed to fight and then you see who the IBF mandatory challenger is and you're like, wait a minute, is Bob Lee still like in charge of it? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know. Oh, dude. Yeah. And well, and I mean, again, thinking about it business-wise from the PBC perspective, perhaps that what that's what the best, that's what's best. Perhaps it's best for the IBF or whomever to strip Errol Spence. And then Jaron Ennis gets to fight somebody else. Definitely. And, what, and, and that would even matter to Spence because at this point, Spence is one of those guys that's above the belts. Everybody knows he's consensus one that bet not even. Especially if he beats Crawford or face, even yeah. just faces Crawford because whoever wins that fight, who gives a fuck if they have that belt? That's just the best welterweight yeah, and exactly. probably the best fighter in the world. Him, Crawford, Canelo, guys like that are just like above the belts now. And like, you know, when they so, fight beating so yeah so for pbc that would honestly probably be a best case scenario because then they don't have to sacrifice one of those fighters to jaron ennis or at least not one of those fighters like spence you know uh specifically but they can continue to develop jaron ennis kind of on the side as a as a champion also too one of those guys that we just mentioned like garcia or thurman or even broner for example who i guess is back in training um they might be more enticed if Ennis has a belt as opposed to- Exactly, exactly. And so he can still get good money facing some of these names that aren't one of the people they don't want to sacrifice. Totally. So yeah, it it makes sense. And that might even be a best case scenario for him and them. But it seems as though there's, I don't want to say frustration. That's not the right word. But it does seem to be that- people are wanting to see like what level he's at. Like they want to, they want a stiffer test because a lot of people felt myself included that Custio Clayton would be like, you know, yeah, totally. He'd give him some rounds and he did not. So no. now it's kind of like, he all right, well, there's when he got dropped. You see the way he looked and smiling and everything. Like he knew he was overwhelmed. And oh yeah. And, yeah. and you can't take that punch, that punch, like to the ear, like leaning down where you don't even see it come. You can't take that punch from a puncher. Like that's not, that'll, that shit will bust your people, equilibrium. And if you watch some of those ear punches, like in history or whatever, like, tr- trust me, they they look glancing. Some of them, you're going to be like, what the hell was that? Have someone get knocked out. Yeah. It looks like nothing. Yeah. It looks like nothing. Ask Sugar Ray Leonard when he got hit in the ear by Tommy Hearns in their second fight and he went and he got dropped. If especially actually. if it's it's one of those shots where like you see it in the replay and their head like hits their shoulder and you're like nah dude like you're not meant to do that your body's not meant to contort that way but well, yeah, yeah here's the equilibrium totally your legs go spaghetti leg yeah you know you're there and you're just like wait a minute what the hell's going on with me Ba-boom. so i mean we've in the last like maybe half dozen fights or so with jaron ennis seen him and again, not frustration. It's just people want to know, like, what's where's he at then? In the last maybe half dozen fights, we've seen him against the kind of top 20-ish level, you know, steadily climbing upward to like the top 12, top 10-ish level, and he's dispatching everybody. So mm-hmm. clearly the the name of the game is we need to see how how much farther he can go, but it sure seems like he can go pretty far. Um, A lot of people are proclaiming him to be one of the, you know, the future of the, of the fight, of the fight game. And with the way he's displaying his skills right now, man, he's totally living up to that at this point. Like you said, I want to see him tested against the absolute elite. I think he's ready for that. He feels he's ready for that. So until we see different, you know, we see different. Yeah. There's nothing you say, man. He's showing the goods right now. It's not to say that this hasn't, this hasn't happened in the past. There's guys that look like can't miss before that somehow, you know, 
fell apart for one reason or another. You had um, Panchito Bajado in the early 2000s, who um, not so much for what happened inside the ring, but for all of his, you know, outside the ring activities. Oh, yeah. Um, well, everything. I mean, that was just everything. a... Oof, that was a, a wild ride, man. My boy, my, my boy is, Steve Ennis Forbes. Like, Ennis, I mean, Ennis is like 10 times much more advanced than what Bahado ever became of his career. But just to give you an example of guys that were yeah. proclaimed as the future of the of the fight, you know, of the sport. So go back to the uh, Or another guy from the same class, Ricardo Williams Jr. Totally, totally. That's, a, that's, a much, that's actually a better example because Ricardo Williams Jr. was like touted by everybody. The first million dollar signing bonus? Yeah, 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 with Lou DiBella, totally. Yep. And, you know, if you saw him in the amateurs, you you would have thought he was going to be a future pound-for-pound pound great. I mean, he had all the skills going on, everything like that. But as a pro, it just didn't really pan out early on. And then, what was it? He lost against um, uh, Juan Valenzuela. Yep, was it Pollo Valenzuela, right? On HBO, yeah. Yep. And even before that, he just looked like, you know, I remember watching him. Um, they talked about it like because fools had written about it that they were like yeah he looked real like he just wasn't even interested he's kind of had this look on his face he's he just, just fighting his way in through his career, man like he was never like he always like he was never really in shape even though like he would make weight but he just he never was super like, bland and in interviews yeah, very bland and everything he just wasn't really caring and then like um i remember watching him against teron Millette, who was used as like the sacrificial lamb for for um his uh world boxing hbo world boxing champion yeah world dude like zab judah like yeah just everybody was busting yeah, him yeah, up. yeah and when he fought him like you know he was really bland in that fight like that was a big fight for him and like you know on a big stage and he just kind of went through the motions of it. he won the fight but you're just kind of like man yeah. and then yeah soon enough everything fell apart for him and then if you want to go back to the 90s really quick another guy that was proclaimed as maybe a future of um a future of boxing and a can't miss guy after he became champion was uh, Eddie Hobson. Remember him? Yeah, well, I I know the name, but I don't remember it from the time. Yeah. I mean, no, I wasn't like you know. I was that was like the very early, early, early stages of my uh, fandom of boxing. So like, I kind of read about him in Ring Magazine, and then I read that he was going to fight Tracy Harris Patterson for um you know in his first defense of his title, which was which was aired on I think ABC. And, you know, it was supposed to be like, you know, his coming out party in terms of like, you know, mainstream, uh, mainstream publicity. And instead, Patterson kind of rocked his world and destroyed him in two rounds in a massacre. And <laughs> Hobson, I mean, it was bad, man. Hobson that got absolutely demolished. Oh, and um, it's too bad, too, because Hobson was a guy that used to like, I guess he was obsessed with DC Comics because he used to wear like a Batman stuff and all that. And he used to make Lou Duva wear a joker t-shirt <laughs> if, if you look and you see big old lou duva yeah it's really tight jokers like you know joker t-shirt with the two double guns up in the 80s it's it's a pretty hysterical Damn, but, um, he's just came a couple years too early dude because that shit would have been you know hot now <laughs> totally but um d- just to give you some examples do i think boots is going to be like any of those guys from the past no no totally i think he's the real deal and he's totally you know he's going to become a world champion and become one of the elite fighters in the future but i'm just ready for him to and he's ready as well for you know for him to do that so i just want to see him be tested is the spence fight coming next absolutely not man that's a fight that's going to be marinated and whatever's going to happen but i'd love to see him fight one of the other pbc elites that they have going on yeah it would be nice to see him i mean i don't want to say like fast track but it would be nice to see him kind of in there 
a lot sooner, but dude, you know. I like to see also too, I like, you know what I liked yesterday about his performance was like, he was much more, I would say like a little bit more relaxed and measured than as I've seen him in the past. Like usually he's been a front runner. He goes out there, he has really blazing fast hands and great combinations and good power and just knows how to put everything together. So he's kind of overwhelmed guys, but for the two rounds of this fight, he seemed much more measured in terms of his approach. Yeah, he seems yeah. smooth and, and totally. fucking chill for sure. And if he does that, you know, if he's going to be like that in the future, man, he's going to be a major problem for everybody. Yeah, a killer, dude, for sure. Well, another, <laughs> I don't think they were expecting this level of test, dude, but I did want to mention, uh, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the Triller card anyway, but <laughs> on that card. I mean, that was, bro, for, for as much of as a fiasco as it was, it was entertaining. It was en- at least the var- or the beginning of it was. So go on. Yeah, no, there was, there was some uh, entertainment to be had for sure. But one of the fights on there that, that was unexpected in terms of the result was Evander Holyfield's son, man. Evan Holyfield oh, got man. sparked. Ouch. Owie. Absolutely, bro. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. I mean, look, I, there's we, not really... We've talked about fighters, um, kids before, and, you know, and who's uh, who's been famous, who's, you know, tried to make it big, whatever it has to be, like Holyfield's kids... Eventually, one of them was going to try to do it. You know what I mean? There was a little bit of hype around Evan, and he's blown through his early competition, but there was a lot of holes in his... It's just the way that you worded that, dude, because I'm like, he's got so many kids, so eventually one's going to try to get... (laughs) I mean, it's the truth, though, right? Like, (laughs) you know? But a person, like, when a fighter or whatever sports person has, like, you know, more than a few kids, like, eventually... No, it's true. It is true, yeah. Especially the boxing bug, dude. That shit bites hard, you know? Absolutely, man. And, like, Holyfield's kid... And, like, Evan said, seeing seeing Evander getting inducted into the Hall of Fame and going back and watching his career, who wouldn't be inspired seeing your dad whoop up on Mike Tyson or, you know, fight Riddick Bo or all these other fighters and seeing the accolades that his dad, like, came off? Of course I'm going to... If I was... if I was the cha- uh, the son of a former champion, I would totally follow and try to follow in his footsteps. Probably get my ass knocked out, but I would still try to do it. And um, Ooh, yeah, he got popped pretty good last night, man. But that's the problem with these kids, though, man. Is that like, unfortunately, there's there's an exception. Like Vargas's kids, for example, look like they're being brought up the right way. Like they came up through an amateur program and like they got that proper skills and they were like built before they were being pushed out to the you know pushed out to the masses. Chavez's kid, for example, Chavez Jr., even though he turned pro without much of an amateur, without anything of a, resembling an amateur career, he was matched against absolute nobodies for a long, long time until he developed to whatever he became. Yeah. You know what I mean, um, other former kids, champions, kind of the same thing. Evan Holyfield, for example, I mean, even though he was fighting nobodies, he's always kind of still been in, like, you know, the spotlight to a degree already in like kind of held to a yeah. certain time because he's promoted by main events uh his first pro fight was i think on a pay-per-view or, or something like that whatever it was and you know the the name attached to him and like you know all the attention that's been brought to him and all that and i mean he's had a few fights off fights i know he fought on a boston boxing card ho- hosted by our buddy gray johnson yep. and not a few other things but like for the most part his name he's always been kind of like more in the spotlight more so than just being trying to be developed like more like club show scenes or whatever but for the most part he's held him like he's been held to a little bit more of like you know in the spotlight standard as opposed to others because of his name 
and he's been featured more, even though he's probably not ready yeah, to be. The name's big college. on posters and shit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. not and he's not ready for that. That's almost like how some like the to give you a wrestling reference, sometimes wrestlers' kids or just certain wrestlers are pushed on television before they're ready. Sometimes they're not ready for that. And then they show, you know, then they're exposed and they just kind of look like ass and you're just kind of like, wait, what the hell's going on here? And they can never really recover from that. Holyfield was already being fast-tracked a little bit. But the fact that he was being featured on this trailer card with Vargas's kin and there was a whole, like, all families thing being involved with it um, kind of, you know, added to it. But no one expected him to get whooped, you know. And the thing about Journeyman, I love Journeyman. You love Journeyman. Um, we, you know, the boxing Journeyman, like, good Journeyman are guys that, like, hold down day jobs, um, don't have the greatest record, but they can give you good-ass fights. You know what I mean? Especially if they have like a chance that they have more than like a week's notice to get prepared for something like this. And Evan Holyfield's opponent was one of those type of guys. He's an electrician by day. Um, you know, never really had a lot of good op- opportunities, but he's always like, you know, been in the gym, stayed consistent, just waiting for a chance. And he had the opportunity of a lifetime here and he took a p- total advantage of it. Holyfield's kid, like he's not a bad fighter per se, but he's just not ready to be like, you know, exposed to this type of, um, to the, to, to the masses like this yet. You know what I mean? He should still be developed hell. Like he should still be like in the early development stage. It's kind of like Wilder when he was on like off TV way out in the boondock yep. somewhere, just knocking over stumble bumps. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, and it's in a lot of ways, it's not, it's not fair to him. It's not fair to them, but it is just kind of the way that boxing works. And then when you get a, an opponent, a journeyman or whatever, that's uncooperative, that, you know they might know what they're there for but they're not they're not going by the script as they say you know they're yeah, and especially if it's just the opportunity of a lifetime like the guy last night man i can't recall it off the top of my head i'm not looking at it so i don't know um jermaine mcdonald jermaine, okay jermaine mcdonald yeah. yeah yeah like you can tell especially after the fight i was so happy for him because you can tell he's never had this type of publicity before he was totally nervous during his pre-fight uh, during the post-fight interview kind of like awkward or whatever because he was still kind of like taking it in you know what i mean of what what he just did but it's always and great. it could lead to a big big opportunity you know i mean it's I mean, like well, listen whenever journeymen score an upset this always gets them more fights regardless uh, even example, if it's just as a journeyman again yeah totally for example um you remember the name sam hill the guy that knocked out david reed and reed's last fight yep of course of course hill got a few public a uh, few well-known fights after that he fought jermaine taylor on hbo he fought a few other guys after that like he was around. I think he fought Ronald Hearns, for example. Like, you know, journeyman, if you score an upset, inevitably you're going to be brought back on television to fight another prospect or at least, you know, have another fight that's going to bring you some decent money. And totally. he's going to definitely going to get um, this guy, you know, he's, he's going to get more publicity from this. This was a big win for him. And it was a big knockout for him. And this was a huge upset. Like no one expected this. Holyfield was supposed to just, you know, roll over him and keep on you know progressing as way he was and um the fact that he ended up looking kind of like nate robinson on triller not to say it was the same thing like he got up and pushed raul collies jr away and was kind of annoyed or whatever but like you know he was completely knocked out from that fight and um no this was one for a journeyman today it was awesome yeah dude it was it was probably the the highlight of the card, not to, you know, talk badly of Evan Holyfield in any way, but just in terms of being 
a shock and not you know being I mean, unexpected. It's a cool story too, man. Whenever a journeyman, a guy that's not like with a with an upended record, ends up scoring a big win, you always feel good for them and happy because that's not supposed to happen. Like in any sport, when the underdog wins, you get you get excited for them. You know what I mean? Well, and not to just start throwing cliches out there and shit too, but for Evan Holyfield, it is an opportunity. It is an opportunity where if he is going to be a fighter, dude, then he's going to have to take a long, hard look at, I mean, who's in his corner, what he's been doing, the training. Has he been approaching this the correct way? Does he need to go totally. back off of TV for two years and see what's what, you know? He really needs, to, he needs a lot to develop, man. Like, so, I mean, the way his reflexes were everything else, he was wide open for that. Threw it, dad dropped his hand, got hit with a right hand. It was like he didn't hear, he didn't see it at all. Like, not even one, one iota left his jab out there and just took, like, it wasn't even, it wasn't, I'm not going to, talk shit like oh I'll take that punch every day like but it it didn't look like it was a massive punch from a huge puncher it just caught him clean because he left his jab out there so yeah. I mean that's what's gonna happen I mean you leave your chin out and you drop your jab and you're lazy with it eventually someone's gonna learn how to counter that with a right hand or whatever it may be and when Holyfield got hit yeah and here's the thing too bro when you get hit with a right hand and you get face planted that's very hard that's one of the hardest knockdowns to come back from because not only do you get hit and you get dropped like and you're kind of like done from that from that hit when you face plant you're hitting the canvas face first you're knocking the shit out of yourself a second time in a row right after that yeah dude it's it was that those are the kinds of knockdowns where referees often will just like call the fight without even, yeah without yeah. even pulling account they just call the fight immediately yeah, face down is like bad news and anyway, he got he got popped pretty good. And this is obviously a massive roadblock because he was previously, he was like 9-0 and or something like that. So this is his first loss. Big opportunity uh, for his opponent. But on the card also, like you said, just wanted to mention real quickly, Fernando Vargas's three sons, Fernando Jr., uh, Amado Vargas, and Emiliano Vargas, all scored wins. And Vargas then- was unhinged yesterday. Dude, he's, in a good way, man. He's—I know—I know he's proud. He's of a sports dad for sure. He's definitely a sports dad. <laughs> fucking good, Robert. you know, over there, fucking death metal vocals. What can I say? What can I say? It was the royal nutsack. All right, you know what I mean, I, I built these kids. I can't tell you. I just—I just did it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I built champions. That's Oxnard, no, dude. That's top I'll of the get, food I'll chain. Much credit, though, man. His kids. His kids seem like they're respectful and they seem like they're very excited for what they're doing in a career as opposed to being like obnoxious assholes or anything. So I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give them that. You know what I mean? And I'll fall. And, and all, no, three yeah, they, that, all three of them were exciting last night. Not, you know, they weren't boring fights. Vargas being true. in the court, cheering the run. And like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I kind of dig it for the moment. So I'll go along with it. No, that's true. And I, and I will, I will give them that dude, because often we do see uh, offspring of fighters and they don't look like shit with all due respect, you know, but the, they do look like real fighters. Like you said, they look like they have been brought up. They have been taught a thing or two. They look well-schooled. They don't look like crappy or anything like that. And so it it will be interesting to see all three of them develop, especially since if they're going to be kind of like, you know, doing the family thing. But speaking yeah, of the- Miller said they signed him for long-term contracts, so I'm sure we're going to be seeing the Vargas claim for a minute. And I'm, I'm down with it, man. Like, to see Vargas going wild ringside and to see his kids not, you know, fighting the way. And, like, they have fun styles, you know what I mean? Like, they were yeah, yeah. getting hit a little bit during the fights and all, you know, besides uh, the first fight, they all produce kind of knockouts or really exciting fights. Yeah, I'm with it. 
I can't yeah, wait they, to develop. I'm, I'm, I'll be cool with it. They pressure. They should be pretty good TV fighters. So it's yeah. all good. Totally. Unfortunately, on the other side, the Pulev brothers, dude. Oh, my God, bro. <laughs> they were a little bit difficult to stomach with all due respect. Because you got, look, you got Kubrat Pulev and Jerry Forrest. And that was just. Lovegate. Yeah. Oh man, it was, yeah. First of all, I don't even, I didn't know. I think it was about two hours ish, two hours or so. Yes. Yeah. Cause um, I think Gray mentioned it on Twitter that we, uh, that there was about two hours from Vargas's kid scoring a knockout in his pro debut to, um, to Kubra Pool of Jerry Forrest. And I remember just sitting there because we were kind of, you know, just on, on call. You know, on hold or whatever and so i'm watching showtime but i'm also watching on the uh on my laptop just getting ready to watch and you just see jerry forrest sitting there kind of dejected one hand wrap on one hand wrap off and poulet you know and then they cut back to poulet's corner and looks as he's kind of arguing with the people saying i don't want to give him my gloves and you got to go back and forth back and forth back and forth back and forth and no one knows what the hell is going on and you're just kind of sitting there and i'm just like and at this point i'm saying to myself you know what just call this fight off like if they're going to be like this what's the point like flip the script do something like enough you know because imagine imagine being kovalev and like sitting backstage and having to keep yourself warm or whatever the case is for that long holy i mean well you know that photo of him like completely yeah (laughs) it's kind of the same thing he's like is this deja vu he has to go through this shit twice in a row now awful dude fucking awful and I mean, and yeah, now, I mean, that's that's a fault on the people in charge of this fight. How do you not have a pair of extra large gloves in case of anything? These are heavyweights. All right. They have average size fists. Their hands are bigger than the average size individual. All right. You need something like that to be the fact that you don't have extra large gloves or anything like yeah. that. To fit a guy like that is, is less amateur hour. So it, and everyone's so... scrambling beg, and they were begging him. Did you see they were begging Pulev in the corner? Please, please let him use your extra gloves. And he was like, no. Yeah, so so just for anybody who didn't watch or who's confused, basically yeah. what happened was that Jerry Forrest, Kubrat Pulev's opponent, showed up, and I guess there was some issue because the commission usually has to approve gloves, right? Like you, they like do. the the fighter generally supplies like two pairs of gloves, one pair and then a backup just in case because gloves tear, shit happens, whatever. And so then the commission has to approve them. And if it's a big fight, your opponent usually has to approve them too. And, you know, there's a whole big thing. Sometimes it's in the contract, what gloves could be used, et cetera, et cetera. But something happened. Don't specifically know what Jerry Forrest, like, uh, did not have gloves or didn't have the proper size gloves. And so then they wound up having to haggle with Kubrat Pulev to be able to use his backup gloves for Jerry Forrest they went back and forth for fucking ever trying to do this shit. And they wound up, it was like two hours on the broadcast. They killed time doing God knows what. And like, inter- they interviewed everybody, bro. They interviewed like every possible everybody. celebrity. Yeah, bro. They're, oh, look, there's TV's Patrick Duffy. Look at you. Yeah, You want to come over and talk to us? No. Okay, no problem. It was like, holy shit, dude. Terrible. They, they recapped. Um, they showed both of all the, all the Vargas fights. Yeah. They, yeah, they, they were showing Vargas replays. Thing. They're going through slow-mos. They're like, they, they literally Fernando did Vargas everything. about the love gate and asked him, I asked him his opinion. He gave his thoughts on the whole situation. <laughs> dude, it was, it, it, it was, was something. Wild, it, it was, was something. 
It sure but, was something. You know what? Part of the course of Triller so far, right? A and, little bit. And, you know, Jerry Jerry Forrest winds up. He's like twice scored big big shots that wound up kind of briefly wobbling Kubrat Pulev. They were like Hail Mary shots, and that was it. Those were his only moments of the fight, and he was otherwise dominated, and it was a pretty bad fight because it's two big-ass heavyweights just smacking into each other for whatever, 10 rounds. But then Sergey Kovalev makes, I, I think it was his cruiserweight debut. If it wasn't, it was his second fight at cruiserweight. Whatever it was, he fought Kubrat Pulev's brother, who I'm not going to lie to you, I didn't even I, know exactly. What's that? I, don't, I don't mean to cut you off. They at one point during the broadcast they said we're we're showcasing three legendary families in boxing, and I'm assuming they were they were referencing Pulev's Pulev the Pulev brothers as well. <laughs> well I, I'm not I mean, I'm not with you. Like does they, Jerry they, Forrest got some famous siblings? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even lying. They said three. They said three legendary boxing families, and I know Holyfield and Vargas. And Vargas is even legendary. You want to like, you know, I'm put asterisk to that, but uh, sure. <laughs> I'll like, accept that. But yeah, now well, we're really reaching. Then like Pulev's, because who else was on that card? Unless somebody deep on the undercard that I'm not familiar with, maybe Danny Lopez is like cousin or something was fighting. Bro, I'm, I'm not gonna lie to you, and maybe somebody's gonna just mark me as a fucking hashtag casual now. But I didn't even know that Kubrat Pulev had a brother until they announced the motherfucking show. I thought I thought Kovalev was fighting Kubrat Pulev, and I was like, holy shit, this is gonna be nuts. And then they're like, oh no, it's the little Pulev. I was like, oh, little Pulev. I don't want little. I don't want Pulev Junior. But, yeah, yeah, man. That's... But no, nah, look, it, it was just, it was also kind of a tedious fight. Uh, Sergey Kovalev played it fairly safe, as he probably should have. You know, he's moving up a division. But he made sure he did because he yelled at him every time he started unloading combinations on him. What are you yeah. doing? Don't do that. Go back to boxing. You know, Thanks, he's... buddy. Prolong my night. <laughs> it was a very, and when Sergey Kovalev uses his jab, we've said this about other fights where we've previewed and recapped in the past, and we talked about it with the Canelo fight. When he uses his jab, he's a very formidable fighter. He's a very skilled fighter, and he used his jab a lot last night, but it did not make for a super exciting fight. And then on, so it just, I mean, look, dude, I'm not trying to blame anybody. And it just happens sometimes, but it made for a super tedious fight to watch because it was already getting super late. And then it was like 10 rounds of Kovalev jabbing the shit out of the sky. It's like, fuck, dude, this is rough. You know, like it would be really nice to get a war to close this out or something. But in any case, it's just what it was. And uh, it would, I mean, it was a, you, you condense all of that shit and make it like not a six hour card. It would be totally fine. It was just the, it was a lot of time to kill, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, you know what, though? I will, it, as much as Triller has their faults and whatever, the, I don't, I'm not going to blame Triller for Glovegate. That, that completely wasn't, yeah, their that fault. wasn't their fault. Yeah, that wasn't their fault. That was, and they uh, did what they could, you know. Yeah, that was the boxing people's fault. They just, you know, happened because, you know, that just happened to catch the brunt of that. But, um, the fights weren't, you know, the Vargas family, again, they were entertaining, like the Holyfield's uh, kids being knocked out was a big upset. Um, the Pulev brothers going the distance with Kovalev and Jerry Legendary. Ford, yeah, the legendary <laughs> Pulev brothers um, was a little, was pretty tedious, but I will say too that the Onyx and um, Cypress Hill battle was very entertaining. Dude, Onyx, um, bro. That's some, that's some 90s Twitter, shit. According to oh. Twitter, um, no one no one even knew that that battle was going on but 
I didn't even know they were going to battle each other, but that was, it was a lot of fun, man. Like, you know, me living in New York, being from the East coast, I'm always going to be an Onyx person. Anytime I, I listen, I listened to Onyx a lot as a kid growing up, everything like that. Even as an adult, I remember messaging you yesterday saying I'm getting like, listening to them gets me angry that I want to go outside and pick a fight. <laughs> um, but like, it, you know, listening to them, Cypress Hill, I wasn't even listening. I wasn't even going on like, who's going to win at battle. I was just enjoying myself as an, as a, as an old hip hop head. So. I might, might still have my, my back to fuck up cassette tape. I might still have oh, yeah. that shit. I have an original on vinyl. <laughs> yeah. I might still have that shit, but yeah, dude, that's, I, I it's not they, thrillers. They all look the same, man. They still look Oh, like I know, bro. Guy, Sticky fingers mean, is like, looks like he has, looks amazing. He looks like he hasn't fucking aged a day, bro. Fucking ridiculous. I love it. I, I mean, it's still one of my goals to see Onyx live. And I'm that, and this is the one time only I would jump into mosh pit probably if they did that. Like, absolutely. It would be awesome. <laughs> Dude, they'd be they look like they'd bring fucking fun energy to a live show and shit like that. Totally, totally, and and on totally. top of that, there's a there's a ton of them, so it's like, yeah, you can just fucking watch them fucking do their shit on They're stage. They're like man. They just got yeah. members. <laughs> yep, dude. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. Like it's not it's not thriller's fault, dude. Uh in it's in a way, it's almost kind of like that's thriller. why we had to mention that. It's really not thriller's fault. It's not. No. It's, and, it's boxing. That's exactly. Just- it's like them finding out the hard way that this is what happens when you fuck with boxing, dude. Is that like there's shit that's gonna happen that you ain't never thought of, dude. The fucking ring rope comes comes undone. It breaks. Part of the ring goes under. Some mm-hmm. shit, you know, breaks a leg. You know, it's there's literally anything that can fucking happen will happen. But is that your own risk for getting involved in this crazy ass sport that we that's love? what happens, bro. I will say I think that they have a, a cool uh concept, you know, weaving the fucking music into like uh into the fights and shit like that. So I don't know. It it's all good. It wasn't their fault. It was just wound up being a super fucking tedious card. However, I just hope they promote it better next time because like a lot yeah, of people dude. on Twitter seemed like they were interested in Onyx um Cypress Hill battle, but no one seemed to know that it was even on you know well and and on top of that to be honest dude the fighters on the card didn't really match cypress hill and onyx you know like that demographic like nobody who would be into a cypress hill and onyx battle for the most part is going to be super into almost anybody on that card so i mean that's that's part of it too but like i said that's not even really the point it just wound up being rough you know what to their credit and sean porter and the rest of the announcers acknowledge this a lot of the fans uh, actually stayed even during all that crazy shit that was going on like and they were just sitting there for idly for almost two hours and people were booing and getting really annoyed and you know they were reaching a certain point but for the majority of the time they actually did stay for that yeah you know, the fact that they stood for those two fights when they weren't that exciting it's dedicated boxing fans you know people are <laughs> hardcore bro and better than i could be man because at that point i don't know how you know my patience at that point would have been wearing extremely thin <laughs> well well, we ain't going to dwell on the Triller card and the craziness, dude. Earlier in, the, earlier in the night was really where it was at. You know, having a, a unified and undisputed junior middleweight champion was... And that's where it really is, man. Stuff, is really doing good. We have more fights next week and going on. And, like, we have a solid schedule going on. So anyone that says, as your show says, boxing is dead, go suck an egg. All right? That's right, baby. <laughs> it is. It's dead, but it's undead. Because it, it keeps coming back, even though people are like, it's dead, it's dead. And it just never... It never stops rising from the fucking grave bro and neither do we man we got a lot of good shit on the horizon coming up that's so. right 
this week i don't know we're gonna have to talk about it and figure out because i don't know if we know what we're doing this week but we'll do something probably we'll at least uh you know talk about the shit coming up or try to do true crime something we'll do something we'll figure well out. we have discussed a guy from the early 90s that we're gonna that's true profile pretty soon so that's true so we'll yeah. figure something out we'll we'll get together this week and have another show but in the meanwhile do i appreciate you hopping on real quick the morning after even though you had a long night of work good shit bro Absolutely, man. It's always a blast talking about it, especially when we had a lot of significant fights happening last night. So, man, it's just the hits keep coming and they ain't stopping, which I love. I do love. Wait, wait and, what's that UFC gift? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fucking <laughs> all drunk and shit. Yeah. Speaking of a bunch of drunks, bro, I, I appreciate everybody who tunes in weekly and everybody who's, you know, continues to kind of find and discover the show. Because I mentioned to you yesterday, just kind of peeking at the YouTube analytics, which I do like every so often, just to kind of get an idea of if we're doing something right, if we're doing something wrong, people like it, don't like it. Almost half of our listens and subscriptions on YouTube have come in the last month. So obviously we're doing something right. And we appreciate everybody who's listening and, and watching. And it's, you know, we, we really do appreciate that. If you did listen in, for instance, on the podcast, go to whatever podcast apps you're using, you know, Apple Podcasts, Google, whatever it might be, subscribe, leave us a comment, leave us a rating. If you're listening in or watching it on YouTube, also subscribe, leave a comment, always appreciate that kind of stuff. But uh, whatever it might be, you can also find us on social media like Knuckles and Gloves is on Facebook and Instagram. We're also individually on Instagram and on Twitter. On Twitter, my buddy Eris Pina is Punch Zone Eris. And on Twitter, I am Patrick M. Connor. Find us there. Eris, we'll talk soon, baby. Absolutely, my man. Thanks, Later, everybody. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.